rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Rumors of Grace. Guess who I have with me on the Zoom call today? Mr. Rob Bell. Welcome. <laughs> it's great to be with you. Thanks. It looks like you're enjoying uh, sunny South Southern California there. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am. It's actually cool today. Yeah. Like what's... mid-70s. Nice. It's cooled down. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks again for taking the time. I've been wanting to talk with you for a while, and um, I've had my listeners uh, call me, text me, email me. And it's like, hey, when are you going to get Rob Bell on? It's like, well, as soon as he gets and has a new book out, maybe I can get him. So you've got a new book out. It's called Everything is Spiritual, Who We Are and What We're Doing Here. Um, I, first of all, I want to say congratulations. I know that birthing a book is no small feat. Oh, and thank uh, you. The other thing I want to say is uh, thank you because uh, it's been meaningful to me the last couple of weeks, just kind of working through it. I'm the kind of guy who actually gets a book, Rob, and I download the audio book simultaneously. So when I'm in my car, I can absorb it. And then I go back and I'm like, oh, I got to find that and read it again. I got to just digest <laughs> it. So I've got them both. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Seriously, hardcore. Yeah, for sure. So the format that I'd like to do, Rob, is I'd like to just kind of go through some, some parts of the book uh, rather than just talk about where it came from and what's a genesis and the overall themes. I'm just going to read some of the passages that I've highlighted during kind of this hour period. And let's just riff on it and talk about it and just see what comes out. How's that? Great. Awesome. All right. So uh, on, uh, let's say on page 99, you're talking about um, what is soul? And you say, you need mind to navigate the path. You need soul to know whether this is even the right path. Soul is tuned in to whether or not the ladder is leaning against the right building. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's in the context of, you know, your, your past life, you're sitting in a, in, a, in a room where you have this huge mega church and all of a sudden you're realizing, what is soul? Who am I? Identity. Can you just tell, talk to me about that? Yes, there is a, there is a deep knowing each of us possess that transcends the chatter of the mind. Hmm. So the mind is comparing, it's jealous, it's looking at how they do it, how come more people seem to notice their thing. The mind is, in, is usually in threat assessment. Right. Soul is another dimension of your being. Soul exists outside of time. Mm -hmm. soul, soul doesn't cling and grasp to a title or an accomplishment for its worth and value because soul just is. Mm. So what happened is, yeah, I'm sitting in those meetings. This is 20 years ago. I'm sitting in those mega church meetings with these good people doing good work. And yet something within, and there's all of this external stimulus 
that is telling me my job is to lead this large religious machine. And yet, with nothing but love and respect for these people who are leading this thing, I know there's this other work for me to do. I'm here to make some things. And I've got books and tours and novels and sermons and teachings and rattling around in my head. And I know I'm here to make this stuff. And yet this world that I'm in is like, is like, no, 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 there's this other hat. You know what I mean? That you're supposed yeah, to wear. For sure. So there was this deep knowing of who I am and what I'm here to do. And then there were all of, almost like the scripts of everybody else. They're like, here, no, read this script. Um, and what I've ex experienced and noticed again and again is how many people have an experience of this deep knowing but everything around them is telling them something different. Mm. So in that section of the book, showing people these different dimensions to your being and that soul knows. Mm. So often what you need is the space and the quiet to actually listen to whatever the confusion is, whatever the, overwhelmed feeling about what the next step is because when you sink down into soul you can find it the next step mm -hmm. is always there and it's all it's clear yeah yeah that's a great segue into this next uh section of the book this passage where you're talking about like taking the next step and and for those of you who haven't read it yet uh the book everything is spiritual it, it's one part self autobiography about your life right <laughs> which i love because so many of us who've kind of known about you or follow kind of your writings and your life, you know, there's a lot of that quite a journey that you've, you've had. Um, and so, you know, this is from your own mouth, but in the midst of that, you, you talk about a lot of amazing um, truths that you've learned that are so universal. And one of those, this next section, you talk about in the book of Genesis, the story of Abraham, you say this, there's a story in the book of Genesis about a man named Abraham who leaves his father's household. Your father's household in the ancient Near East was an entire way of life, economics, family, authority, worldview, gods, where you get your food. Leaving that was leaving the known and heading into the unknown from something that's established to something that doesn't exist yet. Strange how the writer doesn't explain why Abraham leaves other, leaves other than saying he hears a divine voice. Something intimate and infinite is calling to him and he listens. And then there's this line, then Abraham went. I've never read that, that passage in the light of the context of, of the way that you say. And, mm. and for you, you were talking about your own life of this knowing and coming to the end of a period of your life where, you know, you're in Michigan, you've got this huge mega church, and you just feel this calling to go. Um, and your calling, obviously, was to, to California, where you are now. Um, but it, it's really interesting. I think that story of Abraham, I'd love to hear your, your take on it always is taught is couched in the context of you know here's the the, the father of this great uh, race of people he hears this amazing voice and you know the, 
the world stops and he leaves and you know he start his 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 offspring are like the stars and yet the way that you tell it is so personal and you can relate it's almost like the writer just says you know well he hears a call we don't know what it is it's kind of fuzzy and not only does he leave but him leaving does not make any sense in his culture so talk to me about that absolutely and what's interesting what you so rightfully point out is so is many people the reading that they heard of that story is actually a superficial gloss on the story mm. it skips over what is actually an ancient pattern and obviously joseph campbell and others have done, ex have done extensive work on this but the journey begins with a step into the unknown like across all traditions lineages religious groups myths fables um literature itself there is a step into the unknown. And what's so fascinating about the, the storyteller in Genesis is the storyteller does not give backstory on his motivation. You know what I mean? That it's actually masterful storytelling because of the absence of details. Mm -hmm. What he hears, what? Something intimate. I, I talk about it being intimate and infinite. There's some... Um, some sense that he has to go and actually what's so what's so 2020 about the story is how many people were taught a way of life by their tribe growing up and that way of understanding the world no longer works mm. Mm. And um, it, it no longer works for abraham yes and so you 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 have to go you have to follow spirit where it takes you and that generally involves some leaving of home some mm -hmm. leaving of your father and mother's household some leaving of the political consciousness the economic understandings you can see right now especially the past six months how many people are going wait a second this whole system that i was raised in it doesn't protect the vulnerable it's not actually a representative democracy the people with money actually, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like this, this giant runaway free market system doesn't actually serve everybody well. Mm. Well, for many people to even entertain those thoughts um, is a leaving of home. Let alone, this is who God is. This is what it means to be a good citizen. This is what it means to be a good son or daughter. This is what it means to have faith. All those which I'm sure you've seen a million times. Um, but this ancient story is actually, it, it, um, it happened, but its gift to us is that it happens. All you know is you can't stay here. The story is geographic, but the story of leaving home is also consciousness. It's mm -hmm. also worldview. It's, it, it can work at all sorts of different levels. Yes. Yeah. yes. And the storyteller doesn't, give you any why this man what like oh it's just awesome masterful yeah. yeah on that same page on the next page you say um the writer doesn't give us any explanation why abraham yeah. heard he went that's so vague ambiguous and fuzzy <laughs> yeah 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 so then uh in in the ancient art of midrash the the ancient hebrew sages the 
the things the storyteller leaves out are just as important as what the storyteller leaves in. Mm -hmm. Absence is just as much an interpretive playground as the presence. So, you know what I mean? In, in yeah. your dancing with the text, in letting it read you, all the things that are missing are, you, you play and dance with those as much as all the stuff that the writer actually put in. Yeah, um, I love that. I love that. How, I love how you brought that down, not only to your own personal experience, but what, what you just said and the way that, that we've been talking about it has got to resonate with human beings all over the world in any time, in any place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If, if you read the Bible and you aren't quite quickly seeing all of the ways in which it's, it's reading 2020, then you're not reading the Bible because right. this is real people in real places at a real time. And they're writing about all of the stuff that everybody's talking about right now. <laughs> like you think about the book of Leviticus, one of the central themes of the book of Leviticus is living on the earth in a sustainable way. Um, the warnings against a widening gap between the rich and poor, uh, and you go right down the list of what the book of Leviticus is about. It's every, you know what I mean? It's everything we are talking about right now. Exactly. So that's the power of an ancient text is it's ancient, but it's not. It's right here, right now. I love that. Um, on page 199, as we continue, you say this, and I think it's an important point because um, – Throughout your book, you hint at, and you even say at one point that in your church, there was a, a woman that came up to you and said, yes. said Rob, you're a mystic. Carol. Uh, yes, <laughs> Carol. Um, and part of the mystic way, as I've understood and read and, and listened to others, and whether it be Father Richard Rohr or others, talks about entering into the awareness of this non-dual thinking. Um, and yes. And, and, and uh, you hinted that because I think it's a deep issue that I want to camp on for a little bit. You say, we craft these identities and then we cling to them, grasping them for the sense of security they give us. And then we let them go and new identities form, sometimes around who we are and sometimes around who we aren't. The mind loves this. It can ruminate on these distinctions all day. I was that, now I'm this. They're with them. She's one of those. He talks like they do. I used to be one of them. What are you? On and on. <laughs> that, that's our tribalism, right? That's our humanness that, that, that just tries to dominate us. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about, you think about just basic evolutionary biology. Your, your ancestors on the plains of Africa we need to know whether there's a lion in the bushes or not. Like, cause if there's a lion in the bushes, we need to run really fast the other direction. So right. this impulse, this label name, distinguish threat assessment at one level has, that's why you and I are talking today. We, we kept us alive. It keeps us alive now. So it's not naming, articulating, distinguishing. It's when it, when a clinging or grasping energy is looking to this title, accomplishment, 
to give some sense of worth or value. And it's all a game that you can never win. And it just makes you miserable. Yeah. So, I mean, oftentimes human interactions are minds talking to minds. Um, it's, it's a surface interaction about um, how do you construct your egoic life? How do you, how do you, it's, and the invitation is to move past all that. Yeah. What is, what is it about us that the temptation is to fall into that? I struggle with this all the time. Mm. And what, I, what I've appreciated about listening to your podcast and some of the, some of the truths and, and the experiences that you convey and are very vulnerable about at times you found a joy in it. You found a, um, uh, not that you haven't struggled, not that you haven't been through your share of, of ups and downs and pains, but you seem to, to pull it all together um, into a, to an, to a transcend and include type attitude. And that is so difficult because, you know, we're not only is it coming from outside of us, to pick a side and say, Oh, Oh, you're talking, you're going to interview Rob. Isn't he one of those? Oh, <laughs> oh. seriously. If you don't laugh at that, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 you watched the debate. Which side are you on? Did you, didn't you think Kamala was rude? Oh, didn't you think Pence failed big time? It's like you get sucked into this either or good, bad, you know, what team, and I've often said, uh, I, I try to, to tell my kids and I talk to others, it, it's, how, how is this any different than us going and getting this out at a football game? You know, the referee <laughs> throws a flag and says, you know, okay, you, you, we're going to penalize you. And then we yell at the referee, that wasn't, you're the worst, get rid of the ref, you know. Uh, but then they call it on the other team, we're like, good call, ref. And, you know, we you see this in soccer and then we leave and we're like, okay, now we're all friends again, right? Isn't that kind of the same thing when it comes to politics and religion and all these uh, other things? Yeah, that's why it's important to have an adult in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, you can, you can respond well, well, another way to think about it would be, in the book I talk about when Jesus says to love your enemy, mm. if you love your enemy, it dissolves the category of you and your enemy. So the very binary of you over here and your enemy over there, if you move in love towards your enemy, you have just left behind those categories. Right. And... Uh, it's easy for people simply to be trapped in the categories mm. and missing the common humanity that we all share. It doesn't mean certain things aren't awful and destructive and mm. you speak against them, but polarization and particularly political polarization is the inability to see yourself in someone else. Mm. So the real art is you're getting better at spotting yourself. You look far enough inside yourself, you see everybody else. You look far enough inside of other people, you see yourself. Now, you might still 
passionately disagree, but you are at least like, like when you are resentful, are you at like peak rational thought when you're owned by resentment and bitterness? No, none of us are. So if you're trying to understand why this person would think that way or vote that way, well, how do you feel when you've been left out? How do you feel when it feels like the system mm -hmm. is indifferent to you? How do you feel when all the factories in your town got shut down and no one seems to care? Well, you get a little angry. You get really angry and you get resentful and you get bitter and you don't make your best decisions in that state. Mm. So you can still passionately disagree with somebody about a particular topic, but you also are searching for somewhere in there is a human. That human has probably been hurt. They probably responded a certain way. Or, or think about how many people were raised with a worldview of lack and scarcity. Mm. That underneath it all, what they picked up from their tribe of origin is the world is a place of scarcity and lack. And so you have to go out there and fight for your peace. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no wonder they live and move in the world. And then they went into school where it was scarcity and lack. And then they went into a profession that was driven by scarcity. And no wonder they're frightened. Mm. No wonder they're in full threat assessment. No wonder the moment they come across somebody or something that is unfamiliar to them, they build a giant wall. Um, they are a perfect product of the world they came from. And at least then you have a shot at compassion and maybe even understanding. Empathy, right. Yes, exactly, exactly. And in some ways in the book, I'm doubling down on the particulars of my life mm. in the hope that you will find yourself because the universal hangs out in the particulars. Mm, that's good. So you tell me about where you were born and the drama you were born into and the ways in which you have had kids and tried to make your way in the world. You double down on what happened where? What were they wearing? What was their name? What did it feel like? That's how I'll find myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's counterintuitive. Yeah, thank you. And yet, that's the UPS. <laughs> I sit in the front yard because the house is full of my Got your family. package today. <laughs> so I sit in the front yard here and every once in a while, <laughs> a package gets delivered. <laughs> hey, Gilbert, my awesome UPS driver. Um, so that's the counter intuitive way forward is we open our hearts to each other and we tell each other what it's like to have been us because mm. we tried cynicism. We tried ironic mustaches and standing at a distance and air quotes and pretending like everything's lame and derivative. We, we already tried that. We tried standing at a distance. It didn't work. Um, the way forward is to open our hearts to each other. This is what it's like to be me. Mm. What's it been like to be you? And we find ourselves in each other. That's how it works. Mm. The next page it, I also highlighted because it, it, it pulls right into that. Soul doesn't need to decide whether you're this or that. I'm all of it. What I was, what I am, all of it. 
And I think so many of us need to hear that, Rob, because we have come maybe out of some situations where we view them as, uh, as maybe a waste of, t- of our lives. Maybe we have, you know, some kind of trauma on some levels. Some, mm-hmm. some of us come from where, you know, uh, it was a great upbringing, but now I'm moving on. And it's hard for those loved ones am- around me to totally understand yeah. that. And yet yeah. you, and, and yet you keep bringing us back in this book to, um, you know, we're, that's what soul is. Soul is all of this. And, and you talk about that experience where uh, I believe, uh, I don't remember who you said you were with, but she turns to you after you had been gone from the church for a while and you're on this Oprah tour. And she, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She calls Elizabeth you Pastor. Gilbert. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth yes. Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. Pastor Rob. <laughs> and you say Pastor Rob. And at first you're like, oh my gosh, that's not what who I am world? anymore. But yeah. yeah, talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you say you, you make an interesting point there. When I meet somebody who wants me to know with great intensity that they are a progressive Christian, I usually ask them to tell me about the Baptist church they grew up in. <laughs> because what you can feel at a subtle energetic level is they sw- it's wonderful. They've moved forward. They have a bigger, more expansive, inclusive view of the world. They're more open to mystery. Lovely. But what you can feel just below the surface is they, they swapped out identities. Hmm. It's the same clinging energy. Right. So we may have evolved. We may have moved forward, but we're still clinging to a certain egoic structure of this is now what I am. What are you? And soul doesn't cling. It's just here having this experience. Mm. So I was technically a pastor in a church and that was my title. And then apparently I left. But my essence, what I'm here to do, what you're here to do, who you are, and and the fullness of who you are, that's not like something that goes away. So you can swap out the forms. You want to work at Home Depot? You want to work in a monastery you want to sell insurance great but but there's an essence to who you are the gift you're bringing the world that it can swap it can play with the forms it can swap out the forms you're still you it's not like you left you'll give your gift wherever we put you Mm. so the the clinging and grasping generally comes from a fear and and the invitation is to let go of that fear and be present where you're at. So there's this moment when I'm, Liz and I are doing this event and I'd probably technically, whatever the title is, not been a pastor in a church. And yet she's like, Pastor Rob. It's like, of course, what, what else was I doing in that moment? Um, doing what I always do. So this is this beautiful moment when that sort of surreal, she just called me Pastor Rob was like, yeah, because we're everything we've ever been. All of it mm. makes up who we are. That's why what, when you referred to great saint Ken Wilber, transcend and include, you don't leave the stuff. You leave it behind, but you don't leave it behind. It shaped you. It formed you. It's who you are is because of those things, good or bad. So just mm. own all of it. And, it's, and actually, the book for me was a giant exercise 
in owning every square inch of my story. Mm. It's the only way to truly be present and move forward with peace and joy is you got to own every square inch of it. All the awkward. In some ways, the book is just a story of awkward, embarrassing, strange things happening and going wrong. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Well, the and next if you can laugh, if you can laugh at that. Blessed is the one who's in on the joke. Once you're laughing, you're in good shape. Yeah. You, you move into this deeper, um, I think, direction that helps us to pull it in for those, those of us who kind of need some need some help with that. You say the universe has been expanding for over 13 billion years and we never stop being invited to expand along with it. You keep moving and you include it all. You transcend and you embrace all of it. Man, that's, you know, I can read that. I can hear that. I can hear you say it. I can hear Ken Wilber say it. Um, but that is so, so, uh, that is so transformative, but it's also mm. at the same time something that I know I go in and out of that, in and out of that. Um, how how can you help us? What what is what is your practice, if I can even say that? Yeah, to stay right. in that to stay in that space for longer periods of time. Well, one way to one way to think about practice is. When something, the universe includes its entire history. So every species that has died out, every atom that bonded with every other atom to form a molecule, every supernova, every cluster of galaxies, the universe, all of its history is present in this moment. And there is no removal of chunks of history. It's not like there's things that happened to you when you were 22 that somehow didn't happen. So you are the sum total of all of your experiences in the same way that the universe is. So when you have something from your past, let's, talk, let's start with the past. When you have something from your past that you're like, oh, dear God, don't bring that up. <laughs> you see that one picture and you remember that period and the pain of that period and you wince. It's like you're learning to pay attention to anything that has a charge to it. Right. So anything that sets you off, anybody who supernaturally gets under your skin, the reason that period of time, that person, that event, that group that you were once part of that you aren't, instead of seeing that electrical charge, that wince, the fact that it stings at some level as deny, repress, avoid, please don't bring it up you convert it into an invitation. So it's like, uh, one way I think about it is, it's like you build a converter in your heart. And when you have those feelings and reactions, you convert it into curiosity. Why does this have that kind of power? Why mm. does this get under my skin? Why do I wince? What, what is the nature of the regret? And you follow it. Uh, one thing that about, uh, my wife, Kristen, and I talk about, you follow it back to its cave. <laughs> the, the, the thing that's haunting you, the thing that just below the surface terrifies you, the thing that you're embarrassed about, man, follow it back to its cave. What is it? Shame? 
mm. insecurity, you think you failed, like follow it all the way back, observe it, study it, watch it in its natural habitat. Um, yeah, well, for, for those of us who tend to have strong Enneagram 7 energy, that's uh, not always an easy thing to do. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Denial, I would always say denial. I remember when somebody told me about the Enneagram, and I was like, it made, it was like so, oh, of course. I remember thinking denial is my drug of choice. Yeah. Of course. I remember the first time Richard Rohr and I did an event together and it was a day, it was a day. He and I, he goes an hour, I go an hour, he goes an hour, I go an hour all day long. Um, And his dog, when he speaks, sits at his feet. (laughs) And uh, I was like, do I get the dog too? Um, But I did like my first hour and I'm like walking into the audience. I'm like all over the place and I sit back down next to him and he's like, he's having this like out of body Richard Rohr out of body experience. And he says something like a, a seven who's not psychotic. I've never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was such a great moment. I don't know if he was, what, he didn't, I don't know if he was word psychotic. It was some word like he, he was like, literally I've never seen a seven who had at least apparently done some work and wasn't, just full denial and i and i was like yeah well i'm a seven with a seven wing which <laughs> you know an enneagram joke for richard Rohr is just about the best it gets but <laughs> yeah I, uh, yeah that and uh, honestly in the book obviously you see me learning to slow down and feel it mm. the 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 book is a feeling as much as it is a story or a series of concepts about the evolutionary nature of the universe. I, I wanted, because the imprint of the, the energetic imprint of the creator is in the thing they create. I wanted people to feel you can go into all of it, the bruises, the wounds, the scars, the stuff that haunts you. You can slow down and you can go into the heart of it and it's okay. Yeah. It's yeah. actually a, a propulsive source of energy if you can own right. all this stuff. That's if right. You can, if you can, and that I honestly come through my lineage, whatever you do, just keep moving. Just keep working. Just keep accomplishing. Just keep achieving. In some ways, the book was naming my discovery over the past uh, 10, 20 years. Rob Bell, you can slow down and feel it all, all the stuff that you don't want to feel, and you're going to be okay. And actually, if you can feel it and, and absorb it, man, you become like bulletproof. Yeah. Now it, you can laugh. Yeah. And it, and it does bring uh, a whole new meaning to Jesus's teachings on the way down is the way up, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the sign of Jonah. Yeah. You got what do you guys want? The sign of what do you want? What kind of son of David are you looking for? I got the sign. What kind of sign are you looking for? Yeah. I'm gonna give you Jonah. Yes. Three days and three nights. <laughs> you go down, and that's where you find it. You think you're gonna die, but then yeah. you're spit out on the other side transformed, right? Yeah, yeah. I always picture Jesus saying, 
Don't you get it? I do my finest work on the underside. Yes. Like winning gold medals, all the fine stock markets up. Great. Yeah. That's a nice, but man, all the action. Yeah. The least the lost. The sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yeah. Your alienation, your disorientation, your lostness, your despair. Oh, that's where, that's where all the mojo is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of despair and hard stuff, um, on page 284, um, I love how you flip death on, on its head here. You say, there is death at the end of life, but for you to be here, there was death, lots of it, millions and millions of times over at the start of your life. We don't know what happens when we die, that's true, but no one knew what was going to happen when you were born either who you'd become, how your life would go, what you would do, what would happen to you. There's a mystery about what you'll experience at the end of your life. And there was a world of mystery there at the beginning of your life. <laughs> yeah, I like you reading that. That's good. Yeah, That's yeah. I, I love it. I love how you flip that upside down because we don't think of mystery and unknown um, at in our lives, much less the very beginning of our lives. Yes. But we're always focused on the future, our death. Um, we're scared of it. Don't talk about it. Prepare for it. Um, but, but talk about where that came from. What, what are you trying yeah, to right. communicate there? Yeah, right, right. Well, we have to think about death in a completely different way. Parentheses, probably the next book. But nevertheless, <laughs> for many people, there's life, which is right now, and then there's something after this when you stop breathing called death. So they're lined up in a linear fashion, life, then death. What's really interesting in Torah is Moses says, I've put before you life and death. But he's not saying, do this and you'll live, don't do this and you'll die. He's putting life and death before very ancient Hebrew understanding, Hebrew consciousness, life and death are present realities, mm. those present states of consciousness. You can be alive and be dying in some way. Um, it's possible to have a pulse and be breathing and walking around. We even say things like, oh, I'm dying over here. That thing just killed me. Um, this job is sucking the life right out of me. Mm. So you can be living and yet be dying. So, the, the actual lived experience of life is life and death actually mingle with each other right now. Then you look around yourself at ecosystems, at the cosmos, and the seasons themselves, everything dies in winter, and then in spring it's reborn. So, so death is not something that happens then. Death is somehow integral to life itself. Then you think about, well, I do the whole thing on your parents having sex your father's contribution of 250 million sperm, one of them made you, everything else died. So even in the creation of a human being, there was a massive amount of death that was required at some level for the creation of new life. So, and I think you're going to see people more and more. I think consciousness is rising with this because people are realizing the, fit, the, the terror of death in our culture. Because you think about earlier ancestors, your brother was born in the corner of the tent. You know what I mean? The right. entrance, just your, your mom went around in the, the, the other tent 
or grandpa laid down in the corner and stopped breathing. Like the, the entrances and exits happened in the tent. Like now the entrances and the exits happen in sterilized buildings with fluorescent lights across town. Mm. So you can see as we became more what we would call sophisticated, we actually moved the very primal entrances and exits out of sight. So they become foreign and terrifying instead of the natural course of things. Mm. And obviously in cultures, ancient cultures where the comings and goings were happening right in front of you from an early age, then your communion with the ancestors, your sense of connection with who came before you, what you were passing on, um, even the thinness of the membrane between the living and the dead, you know what I mean? Was all, um, so what happened is human beings got way more sophisticated, but became alienated from some of the basics that our ancestors understood much better. So an example to get really practical is how many people aren't stepping into the next step for them because of a fear of failure Mm. instead of, yeah, you tried some, because why? Well, because I failed before, so I'm not going to try again. Um, Even the category of failure is an inability to deal with the death of certain things. Mm. You tried something, the idea died apparently. (laughs) Okay. It took about 250 million sperm for you to be here. So the universe is excessive in its generativity. Mm. Yeah. So you can see how the implications get really practical really fast. Yeah. Was it failure or you just, you took a, you took an attempt and now you'll take another attempt and now you'll take another attempt. And maybe at some point something will catch. Who knows? For you, Rob, um, your joy is infectious. And I love that. And, and I think, you know, your, your podcast and who's anybody who's seen you live knows that, um, that that's authentic. It's not fake. Um, I don't you know. Usually you can see through when someone's, you know, faking <laughs> right. their laugh, they're laughing or their quote, <laughs> sure. joy or happiness. Yeah. It's definitely infectious. Um, have you always been that way? Or was there a time that, that something shifted in you? Uh, the, I think by temperament. Yeah, at some level by temperament. I was, my wife calls it exuberance. <laughs> I mean, I, at some level, I was probably born exuberant. You should see my dad. Good God. <laughs> that guy, what an awesome human being. I remember as a kid, um, we'd go to the grocery store, he and I, like in the evening, get some things, the hardware store, and we'd be checking out. And he'd say to like the person checking us out, I see on your name tag, Sheila. Are you Sheila Jones? Sheila Jones? 436 Hill Street. Didn't you have a brother named Wade? Didn't you guys have a screen door that a, a raccoon got stuck in? Like, <laughs> this lady would just melt. And my dad would be remembering something from 30 years earlier. Wow. You know what I mean? Just, just as larger than life. The judge. It's actually a judge. But just here comes the judge. So I come by some of the, the, jo- the like exuberance. But then I went into being a pastor and was around a lot of death. Mm. The job was to be with 
the job was to get in the car and go to the funeral home and try to help the people say goodbye. The job was to go to the intensive care unit. The, the job was to sit with the guy who's about to take his last breaths because of mm. lymphoma. And then I started to discover there were people who didn't appreciate my efforts in the word, world. Um, and that you can give everything you have and there are people who will not just not appreciate it, who will actively seek to stop you. So I think that's where the joy really started of all the worst things that could happen happened. Mm. Um, that, uh, that upside down reality, right? <laughs> everything uh, like the, and like that word controversial being attached to your name everywhere you go. Um, and it got to a point where I couldn't go anywhere in a previous life. I couldn't go anywhere in that town, grocery store, my kid's soccer game, without running into somebody who had strong opinions hmm. about me. It was like it was like a echo chamber or a, a fishbowl. And and counterintuitively, if all that happens to you and you're still here, it loses its power because you're like what. Like, what are you going to do? Call me a heretic? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was definitely a period where I was, I was not that flexible. I was mm. feeling it. Mm. I was a little stiff, a little awkward, a little, you no, know, very like, good God, is this what comes with this? And then you just let that heat you either deny and repress or you go into the heart of it and you come out the other side and you are loose and limber and you, well, who knows how people respond. So you might as well just, just have a blast and just give it everything you got. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. The, the past decade, especially have just been like, unbelievable <laughs> i didn't know it could be like this i think i say that in the book i didn't know it could be like this mm, yeah that's amazing yeah. um i have one more uh one more quote and then i have a final question um you toward the end of the book you say this uh you say do you see it do you see what we get to experience put your hand on your heart can you feel it Everything is spiritual. There's a universe there in your chest, a cosmos in your heart. We know there's more. We've known it the entire time. What a gift. All that wonder and awe. I feel like I'm just getting started. I can't imagine where it's going next. It's like an endless invitation, and we get to say yes again and again and again. I love the way you ended your book. Um, this idea of an invitation into expanding and growing, mm -hmm. um, it so resonates. It's just deep, deep, deep in my soul. Um, and it's like for, for so many times in my life specifically, and I know others that, I've, that I speak with, um, we're not given that encouragement. We're not given that freedom. And yet I think every human being's heart and soul calls and yearns and 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 has been yeah. that way um and 
Can you talk to me a little bit about that and talk about how you say, I feel like I'm just getting started. For Rob <laughs> Bell, what does that mean? Let me put my hand on my heart. Because there's, a, <laughs> there's a, a feeling in your question. Uh, I would go back to the beginning of your question. I, I don't know if somebody gives you the encouragement or the permission to see it as invitation. I think you give it to yourself. Yes, that's the point, think, right? Right, You're right. For someone um, else to do it. <laughs> yeah, and for so many people, the world was constructed with these gatekeepers and authority figures who did the work for them and mm -hmm. handed out the little crumbs. Um, but, but part of the leaving your father's household and your mother's household, it, well, there's this great line in the prophets, spirit will be poured out on everybody. Um, or like in Torah, the people stand at a distance from the mountain. They stand at a distance from owning their lives. Moses, you go, you go up the mountain and then come down and tell us what you heard. Um, they stand at a distance. So at, at some level, you decide that you're not going to stand at a distance. And so you decide how you're going to frame it. Mm. You waited, you let other people do that. Um, you let other people interpret it. You let other people make the rules. And then you realize, well, actually, how do they know more than me? <laughs> um, and that can be terrifying, like the rug getting pulled out from underneath you. And it's also incredibly liberating. It's also called maturity and growing up and waking up at some level. Mm. So I think at some point you just decide, I get to tell the stories. And, and how you frame it, the story that you tell about the experience you're having, profoundly shapes what the experience even is. Mm. So it's interesting. I've done this with an audience on a number of occasions. I'll ask the audience, when you were growing up, did the message you picked up from how your parents lived, whether or not they said it, but how your parents lived, did you pick up the message that life is an adventure you get to go on or a trial to be endured? Mm. And what's fascinating is I've never done that with any crowd anywhere in the world that everybody doesn't have a an immediate yes or no, they, they, or uh, they can pick, they know, people just know. Um, so it just shows the power of, you get to decide what story. So if you wanna see it like it's an argument to be made and some people are right and some people are wrong, fine. How's that working for you? Um, if you wanna see it as, I better be good and I better get it right, because there's some sort of exam or there's some teacher in the sky who's going to grade my, sure, fine, if that helps. Um, does that work long-term? Right. Or the universe has been unfolding. Becoming is its natural state. It is a dynamic rather than a fixed reality. And it just keeps moving forward, expanding. And you're invited to expand and explore right along with it. To me, that just becomes, now that's a way to frame it. Yeah. I mean, if you want, you want the joy, that's how you frame it. 
Yeah. In earlier in your book, you, you kind of talk about this in the context of, of like grade school and Oh yeah. Yeah. You talk about like when you're in second grade, you know, you, you're excited, you learn some things and they're all fact and they're all true. Um, but you can't stay there because that those, those math facts or those English facts build on the next phase. And, uh, yeah. And if you're in, that doesn't mean they're any less true. Uh, but if you were to stay the way that I was thinking and processing it, actually this morning, I was listening to that piece The way that I was processing. It would be like, you know, you're, you're, you're eight years old, you're in second grade and you you learn math and you master it, you get A's and you're like, I know math. This is all there is. This is math. <laughs> and then That's somebody, funny. somebody in ninth grade comes and says, yeah, but have you heard about trigonometry? And you go, well, that's not math. I know math. I got an A on math. There is no more math. Uh, and it would that's be funny. weird if that eight-year-old stayed in second grade until he was 15 and said, "This, I'm, I've already mastered it. Uh, and I think that's kind of, for me, it, it helps me to understand you've got you to put layer upon layer, you know, move on yeah. and expand and grow. And it's, sometimes that's really hard to to move outside of those comfort zones and get outside of our second grade, our third grade and learn something new and, and maybe fail at it and maybe have to repeat a grade. Um, but, but I, I love that illustration. <laughs> yeah. The forms and what happens when you go, come to see spirit as the animating energy, animating the forms, then the forms you're not grasping and clinging to the forms like you were because you see, yeah, yeah, that form worked, and then it didn't. That teacher helped, and then it was no longer helpful. Living in that neighborhood with those friends, working that job, what a wonderful chapter. That was a great form, great arrangement. And then it was over. And then, and then we got our new forms. So the forms work at all shapes and sizes and textures and colors and designs. And if you can come to see the vibrant, propulsive, spirit animating all of it then you can hold the forms a lot looser even the people who are bitter about some aspect of the world they came from i'll always just ask like did this thing you're talking about this experience you had that you're bitter or angry about is that where you got a sense of morality uh yeah did did those people teach you a sense of right and wrong yeah did you learn about discipline there? Yeah. Okay, so there's some good things in there. And along with the misogyny and xenophobia and all their stuff. But let's, let's acknowledge that that season, that shape, that form, that tribe, that whatever it was, you also picked up a number of things that helped you be who you are. Mm. So you let go of that form. It's fine. It worked for a while. That's good. That's good. And now, and now you're not who you are. So... What do the current forms look like? Good, great. And this, you, you're like, you're holding it so much more loosely. Yeah, Abraham heard a voice and he left. <laughs> and then he goes, <laughs> yeah, and then he goes. <laughs> final, final question, Rob. Um, I had someone, uh, a close friend, and we were talking, I said, yeah, I'm gonna be interviewing Rob. Is there anything you wanna ask? He goes, yeah. He, and I alluded to this earlier in our talk. He said, ask him, what is daily regular practices? 
like what what is is there anything that like is it meditation is it reading certain things what is your what's your do you have a a regular rhythm that rob bell uses just to stay centered yeah sure tons of things what's your friend's name his name is mike i would say mike that's so fantastic that you've asked that question now let me ask you some questions mike what is it that when you do it it grounds you it centers you it reminds you of your mikeness it reminds you that it's good to be mike that you're home that it's good to be you that there's some gift for you to give um that hope is real i would start asking mike a whole series of questions because i have my own things first thing i do in the morning is walk the dog Mm. generally at some point walking the dog remind myself that everything I will need for the day will be there when I need it. Mm. It's a version of give us this day, our daily bread. I'm realizing now, as I say that to you, everything, especially during this pandemic lockdown, when there's a lot less options, that sense of claustrophobia, you know, that psychic, like a bunch of things aren't available. Um, So I have all these, I mean, watching my daughter eat her toast this morning then I went surfing like I have all of my things but anything can be seen as practice mm. everything so is spiritual. actually uh, yes what you are learning is to f- to experience the depth in the everyday the, the sacred and what you would previously have called the common mm. so like it like going to the grocery store for me is like, I love it. <laughs> so gradually what happens if you have practices is you have this practice and that practice, but your practices begin to leak into the rest of your life. Yeah. So you're, you've set aside these particular things that you do. Mm. So what are moving your body, meditation, silence, art music but then what happens is you start there but then gradually all of life begins to have those qualities because if you can see it there then you begin to see it everywhere so the discussion i just had with my son about what he's doing later today was not just a discussion about the details of what he's doing later today it became just a wondrous, look at this kid. Look who he's becoming. This is unbelievable. So that's what happens is the whole thing begins to be light up. So as opposed to telling Mike how I do it, and my wife, Kristen, always says, don't answer the question about your practices because <laughs> each person has to find their own. So I would just say, like my Kristen would probably say to Mike, what feeds your soul? Mm. Do that. I would also say to Mike, Think about it like architecture. So like an architecture of a house would be designing a house. How would you design the physicality of your life to remind you that this matters, that everything's connected, that it's headed somewhere? Mm. So what hangs on the walls? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Um, Zen and the Zen tradition is very good about intentionality. Mm. 
Like, like, show me your car. Do you have a bunch of crap in the back seat? Why? Um, what's in your closets? Do you use this stuff? Why do you have all this stuff? Like, I would get very granular with Mike. Hmm. Let's set your life up so that everywhere you look in your physical space, you're reminded of the goodness of life. Hmm. Let's start hmm. there. That's such a practical application of everything is yeah. spiritual. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's awesome rob thank you for this time uh thank you for the book uh everything is spiritual by rob bell um people want to get in touch with you they can go to the podcast i guess and the Robcast. anything else that you'd recommend sure there's um yeah we just released a film called an introduction to joy um which is from last year's tour that's on youtube and there's all the Robcast episodes and there's some long form audio. All this stuff's at my site, robbell.com. Yeah, there's a big pile of things people can jump into. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time. Thanks for the book. Thanks for your sharing your life with, ever, with all of us. And uh, it means a lot. It really does. Thanks. Well, man. it was, I, I, I loved, there are a number of things you said that I was like, ooh, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. So I loved the interaction. It was really meant a lot to me. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you. You as well. Much love. Bye-bye.